couple of top starters will enter 2021 with health concerns and will weigh the value of loading up on top 20 outfielders. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Thursday, October 8th. I'm Al Melkier. I am joined today by Derek Van Riper. Uh, DVR, we have a Mike Clevenger update. Uh, he was removed from the Padres game one of the uh, NLDS against the Dodgers. Uh, made it through the first inning, just threw two pitches in the second inning. Still dealing with the elbow impingement. Um, so would seem possibly doubtful that he's uh, not going to pitch again in this postseason. How much of a discount do you think that he merits, uh, given that this looks like this is how he's winding up 2020? You know, I think given the possibility that something else could be lurking in his arm, like I'd probably want to wait until at least the fourth or the fifth round before I take him. I don't know if he'll fall that far consistently because he was a top 10 pitcher for some people going into 2020. So I think he's an easy guy to stay away from for now, and you can kind of take the wait-and-see approach. If he gets to spring training, goes through a normal schedule with his teammates, and is on track for the start of the season once we get to you know mid to late March, maybe by the end of draft season, he's the kind of guy that I'd have a lot more confidence in uh, because I'm just not expecting a big discount in the short term. I think people really like him, especially since he landed with the Padres. Yeah, uh, and I imagine that. I mean, in the the mock that I'm uh, involved with currently, he went after the top 20, and I'm actually going to revisit that issue of uh, who's in the top 20 and who's not uh, and so forth. But uh, it's definitely a a substantial discount, but, um, you know, he's not dropping uh, deep, deep uh, into this mock draft. Uh, But related to that story, um, Padres had to go through a lot of pitchers in that game. And one of them was Ryan Weathers making his major league debut. Uh, So the Padres just certainly don't lack for uh, high-end pitching prospects. Weathers has never pitched above Class A through 96 innings for Class A Fort Wayne in 2019. Uh, In this NLDS game against the Dodgers, went one in a third innings, did not allow a hit, struck out a batter, uh, did allow two walks, uh, which is, you know, it's just, uh, you know, one outing in the postseason. Still a little uh, unexpected maybe that the the weak link in the the stat line is the walks because that's been his real calling card in uh, the minors is a lack of walks. I mean, the stuff looked really good, and the moment didn't seem to phase him at all. He is the son of David Weathers, the former uh, big league pitcher from, I don't know, 15 or so years ago now. I think it's about the time his career came to an end. But uh, I I wonder, for a guy that didn't pitch really other than the alternate site in the playoffs, where do the Padres start him in 2021? Like, If he's good enough to get innings against the Dodgers in the NLDS, you'd think he's absolutely in contention for a spot somewhere on the staff next year. But I have no clue how to value him right now. Like I, I love the stuff. He's one of the better pitching prospects in an organization that has a ton of talent. But what do you make of this? Like Minor leaguers in general who we didn't get to see, he's a guy who was further away than most. Like I think we're going to go through this with Wander Franco. We're going to go through it with Jared Kelnick. We're going to go through it with Julio Rodriguez and a bunch of other guys that may have debuted this year in a normal season 
But for a guy like Weathers, it's even harder to figure out. Yeah, and the flip side of that is that we saw several prospects debut the season that in a normal season, maybe we wouldn't have seen. So it's really hard to figure this out. And I think that this pitching situation for the Padres may be one of the toughest situations uh, to to, un, uh, uh, to to unpack um, just because uh, we saw Luis Patino a little bit this year. Um, you know, you figure Mackenzie Gore in 2021 is going to be a part of that. So with Weathers, you know, really unexpectedly making an appearance and in the postseason, no less, does this make you maybe like Patino and Gore or maybe Adrian Morahone a little bit less next year with one more pitcher to compete against? I haven't come to any sort of conclusion as to whether or not I believe Weathers getting this opportunity instead of Gore or Weathers entering this game before Patino eventually did, if that means anything to me or not, it's strange, right? Because I think if you said going into the season, who do you rank highest based on how much you expect them to contribute, it would have probably been Gore first, Patino second, or Patino first, Gore second, and Weathers a distant third, and Morahan probably in between those two groups. I guess Weathers would have been a distant fourth and Morahan would have been third because we saw him pitch in the upper levels of the minor leagues. The usage just suggests that they have a lot of faith in Ryan Weathers. I don't think that is an absence of faith in Gore and Patino, if that's a, a fair way to put it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you asked me where, you know, where I come down on this. And frankly, I'm just going to wait this offseason and hope we get some clarity. And, and probably that clarity, if it comes at all, may not be until spring training next year. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting situation that just got a whole lot more interesting. Well, DVR, uh, Mike Clevenger, not the only high-end pitcher that uh, is going to enter 2021 with some health questions. And this is something you foreshadowed on a recent episode with uh, Zach Greinke getting lifted early from his first postseason start, getting passed over early on in the uh, Astros series against the Athletics. Turns out Granke does have a sore arm. Uh, however, uh, there have not been any structural issues that have been diagnosed. So kind of a good news, bad news situation for Zach Granke. But um, is he somebody that falls to maybe number three starter status? Is it possible he falls even farther? It's weird. I, I just, I don't understand what you're supposed to do with a pitcher when there's no structural damage, but they're not well enough to pitch as scheduled. I think Grinky's one of those guys that he's getting by with velocity that's well below average at this point. It's been that way for a couple of years. It's sequencing. It's the secondary pitches that are all really good. I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff. I, I think he just knows how to attack hitters with the arsenal that he still has at this stage of his career. But I'm wondering if we have to give him elevated injury risk. He's been so durable. Over 200 innings every year from 2017 through 2019. He took the ball 12 times, got 67 innings during the shortened season here in 2020. Became a little more hittable this year, though, too, especially in his last handful of starts. His September numbers look quite a bit different than his August and July numbers. So I'm looking at Grinky, and I do think he kind of falls more to the 75 to 100 range overall. And at that range, depending on what I've done with the rest of my pitching staff prior to that, I would at least consider it because I, I don't think he's going to go into the like the John Lester end of career tank or the Cole Hamels end of career tank where the ratios blow up and the durability gets worse in the case of Hamels. Um, so if there's a discount, I'm still in, even though this has been a strange ending to Zach Greinke's season. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a tough one to uh, to gauge because that durability has been uh, in recent years such a big part of Granky's appeal, really elevating him to uh, you know number one or high end number two status. Uh, you know, even though as a strikeout pitcher, pound for pound, he doesn't necessarily match up with some of the other top pitchers. So we talked a little bit before DVR about how far Clevenger might fall. We just talked about how far Zach Granky might fall, um, but. Something that's um, been discussed a lot in the last couple of seasons uh, as pitching has been you know, more difficult to gauge, it's been harder to find really reliable starting pitchers, is whether or not you should load up on pitchers that are in the top 20 because once you get past the top 20 or so, there's all kinds of risk and all kinds of questions. I'm starting to think that outfield is the new starting pitcher. <laughs> because uh, in the mock that I'm currently in, I'm seeing some pitching options that I like in that 20 to 30 range. But boy, once I got to around the 16th or 17th outfielder off the board, um, I got started to get really nervous about the uh, the options that were left. Uh, in your your upcoming drafts, do you first of all do you just foresee taking any sort of strategy at all in terms of targeting X number of outfielders in the top 20? And if so, is it two? Is it three? Um, how, how do you approach this? I think a lot of people have a weight in the outfield approach most years because they feel like it is really deep. But I kind of agree with your assessment. There are more questions than usual about a lot of the players that you're seeing going in the 20 to 40 range among outfielders. It's not to say that there aren't players that are good in that range who are undervalued. But uh, I do look at this board and, and think that I'll end up probably with a few few teams that go outfield outfield for my first two hitters maybe it's around a starting pitcher you know maybe there's uh, some other little wrinkle in there but I, I don't have a problem loading up outfielders early I never really have compared to the field so I just think this year be will be more aggressive for everybody across the board which may force me to also be more aggressive value though I mean if JD Martinez holds outfield eligibility in your league I love where he's going right now he's going to be UT only in a good number of leagues. He just seems like he's right in that sweet spot. I think in the two early mocks, his ADP is about 79th overall, so he's 22nd among outfielders. Giancarlo Stanton, for some reason, is 30th among outfielders. That's enough of a discount. I'm taking that discount on Stanton. Yeah, for both of them, and especially Stanton, I think that that's tremendous value. So, yeah, there, there's fallback options, uh, to be sure, which maybe uh, keeps you from taking that third outfielder uh, out of the top 20. Uh, that seems like maybe that would be overkill and hurt you uh, at certain other positions. Um I'm uh, personally in the too early mock that I'm in. I'm approaching the uh, round seven, round eight turn. Uh, I've, all I've got is Nick Castellanos in my outfield so far. So I'm really hoping to pick one up on the turn. And two options that are currently out there, I don't know that they'll both get to me by the time my turns are up, uh, are Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Kyle Lewis. And... I had a hard time deciding. So I thought, you know, maybe this would be good for a poll. Maybe there would be a lot of split opinion on this. And it turns out that's that's exactly how it, it happened. So before I reveal the results, do you have a strong preference for either Guriel or Lewis? It's a great question. I think I think I prefer Lewis just slightly. I think there's more ceiling there, but Guriel has been kind of a blind spot for me. Like I've missed out on really his resurgence or return when he got called back up last season. I didn't have him anywhere in 2020. I think the main thing I keep getting stuck on is he doesn't walk a lot. And for a guy who's going to make a lot of his value is more of a middle of the order run producer. I want to see a guy that controls the strike zone 
a little better than that. So maybe I'm nitpicking too much when it comes to Lourdes Gurriel. But I think with Kyle Lewis, the game-changing power is evident. And I think we did see quite a bit of growth in terms of his ability to draw some walks this year compared to that little debut we saw at the end of 2019. Knocked the K rate down a little bit as well. He's got a 126 WRC plus through his first 76 games. A really impressive start to his career, kind of on a 30, low 30s home run sort of pace through his first half season, we'll call it, of MLB action. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's a lot of things to sort out here. One of them you mentioned, which is the uh, plate discipline for Gurriel. Uh, So that's certainly a strike against him. But then for Lewis, I think that this would have actually been an easy decision for me if Lewis hadn't had a pretty bad September. And, you know, we've seen this before with players who uh, have terrific partial seasons in what is a rookie year or maybe even a, you know, pre-rookie year where they don't quite meet um, uh, rookie eligibility. And, uh, you know, there's something less over a full season. And I'm just afraid that maybe what we saw in September is an extreme version of the re- regression that we could see from Lewis in, a, in whatever his full season is, hopefully 2021. Um, so that kind of evens it out for me. As it turns out, there was a slight majority in the poll favoring Lewis. It was 52 to 48 in his favor. Uh, but I actually put Guriel ahead in my uh in my queue. And I think there's just, I think now we do have a pretty good indication of what sort of player Guriel is, what sort of numbers he's going to produce in the various, um, various categories. And at this point, I want to get another outfielder on my roster who I'm pretty confident in and, you know, wait a little longer for, for the upside plays. I mean, it makes sense. I think Guriel does have a safer floor with more big league experience, a comparable overall offensive value to this point with the 121. WRC plus in 830 career plate appearances. So uh, a body of work that's about twice as big as Kyle Lewis at this point. I think Lewis could still be going through those early adjustment phase that we're talking about. A lot of times players, it's tricky in 2020 because so many guys didn't get to that point where opposing teams had a book about them. And 2021 might be a rude awakening for a lot of young guys as teams You've got to grind tape throughout the offseason and start to find holes in their swings and exploit them. And it's all a matter of how quickly you expect a player to, to adjust back. I think it helps when you can fall back on good plate discipline the way that Kyle Lewis can, at least in the form of being able to draw some walks. And I think the lineup around him should be a lot better, right? Because we should see Jared Kelnick and we should see Julio Rodriguez pretty soon after the 2021 season begins. So Seattle might go from one of those top heavy offenses that's not very good to at least a league average sort of offense with room to become a lot better. Yeah, and then that's something that could uh, close whatever gap uh, I might perceive between Guriel and Lewis because Guriel, we know he's going to have a pretty good lineup around him. So we'll uh, continue to talk about uh, mock drafts and uh, obviously a long offseason ahead of us where we can um, you know look at uh, all kinds of players and try to figure out how to evaluate them for uh, 2021. But for this episode of Fantasy Baseball 15, we are going to wrap things up. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll return here on Friday.